Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. short rest oh I see they said you'd be showing up about now come on through the portal best not keep the lord mistress and more master waiting you know how they get robots radio presents the dungeons and dragons lore cast the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons. Hello and welcome to an installment of the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast presents. My name is Sergio and I'm Mary. We uh we're talking with uh, creators in this series. We're talking with yeah. the uh the people behind the curtain, so to speak. Uh the 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 wizards, the the behind homebrew campaigns, uh-huh, behind uh-huh, uh-huh. the things that we uh the things that we love to play that uh that you can pick up either like on DMs Guild mm-hmm. or in this case on Kickstarter. Yep. Uh we're talking with uh, Christian Allaire this time around. And uh, he is the mind behind Rise of the Black Coven, which is available uh, to be um, backed on Kickstarter right now. Mm-hmm. If you are listening to this in the uh, end of Jan- or June, January, I don't know where that came from. The end of June, <laughs> beginning of July, when we're recording this, uh, you mm-hmm. can go ahead and back it now. It's already fully funded. It's already a project that's going to be it's fully so realized. Amazing. But um, we wanted to talk with Christian. We want to sit down with him and oh, yeah. um, and kind of pick his brain a little bit. Say, say hello to the fine folks out there in, in Lorecast land. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Christian Allaire, and I am uh, one of those eternal DM people. Oh, oh you're, one, you're one of those. That answers one of my questions. Oh, good, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whether but you prefer to DM or play, I guess. Is you, it uh, by preference or yeah. happenstance? Or was uh, a decision made for you? It's it's a little bit of everything there because oh. I uh uh after my very first campaign I knew I wanted to DM and mm-hmm. then I just I did it a lot introduced a lot of new people to D&D and then I I ended up in this position where I had a lot of players mm-hmm. and no one wanted to take on that mantle so I just kind of kept doing it um mm-hmm. and I was fine with that that was that was uh that was great for me I love pretty much every aspect of it um whether running a, a standard module or world building uh you get yeah. to play so many more npcs than people get to play characters so that's, that's a huge appeal for me too yeah. i get yeah. to be as many people as i want to be a lot of good a lot of funny voices for sure it, exactly oh yeah 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 i still have not yet <laughs> mastered the art of maintaining my accents that i apply in games so i, I can maintain them through the session 
it's yeah. after that that I never remember afterwards. Like, it was oh, sounded was... like what? And they're like, I don't think they sounded like, that way. Was I was like, like Northern oh, well. Scottish? Or was he Irish? I can't, oh, I can't remember. <laughs> we're we're doing a live stream right now to to showcase the introductory adventure. And yeah. I am pretty sure every time I introduce one of the characters, their voice has changed in each episode. So, uh... <laughs> so excited to go go look at that. I found that today. I was looking through stuff earlier and found those earlier today and was going to bring it up. And I am absolutely going to be going back to watch that. I love a good actual play. Oh, great! I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to hear your feedback on it. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, that you are the perpetual DM. You introduce folks to DM. How long have you been playing? Uh, D&D specifically and then and tabletop games in general oh gosh it has been ooh, nigh on 12 years or so since oh. I first started playing um, my friends got into D&D right when they started university and I was near the end of high school and uh, they they got me hooked in 3.5 and we we've played a couple different. Uh... Oh, welcome, brother! <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, old man too. <laughs> we, we we played three point five for uh, many years, uh, I, but I've also played Pathfinder. I played a little tiny bit of Fourth Edition. Uh, I played a little bit of uh, Call of Cthulhu. I've played uh, oh. Uh, uh, words escape me the wheel of time rpg very briefly the star wars rpg that was effectively 3.5 as well and now of course fifth mm -hmm. edition lots of fifth edition lots of fifth edition for sure I'm only fifth edition for for me myself i am still a newbie but sergio's an old old dog been at it for a while i uh, yeah i uh, i also cut my teeth on 3.5 um it was it was weird uh for me because uh, for a long time, I was like D and D, like I'm a nerd, but I'm not that much of a nerd. <laughs> uh, come to find out, I I I actually totally am. I am that much of a nerd, You're and I love it. More than that much of a nerd. I used to think that way about LARPing, but the more <laughs> I see people's really nice cosplays online, I'm like, you know what? I oh, could yeah. I could get into this. I oh, no, I, yeah, I know sure. it's dangerous. I'm just gonna throw it out there. <laughs> Um, the 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 barrier now for LARPing would be uh, time and money, where oh, I would right. I would dive into it both feet first, and I would have no money or time for anything else. So that's like <laughs> that's currently the only thing reining me back from just developing a very expensive new hobby. Oh, it is oh yeah, you're, hobby you're, for sure. Yeah, you're talking to two folks that um, just took up 3D printing. And, uh -huh. uh, and painting miniatures so it's uh, -huh. uh that's all we and and, uh, and on top of playing ttrpgs that's all that's all we know is it's expensive hobbies it seems like it's true oh, yeah, yeah i have um i'm i work as a seamstress so that is also a hobby in addition to the other things so there's the sewing stuff there's the we've got sewing stuff here i've got about any kind of craft thing you can think of i i do all of them if i can I that's my that. expensive dive is all that stuff. Thread is expensive. I'll, I'll just is. say that. It is. It really is. Combine that with the D&D books. And I mean, might need to take out a couple more mortgages or something. I don't know. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, you've been playing a lot of 5e. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about the rise of the Black Coven specifically. This mm -hmm. is a 5e uh, campaign slash, uh, you know, campaign setting as well. Uh, it. I read the description. I read the vibe. You mentioned specifically Ravenloft, uh, being a huge fan of that, and you know, like that's I get Ravenloft vibes from it for sure. Mm -hmm. What you know, what 
you know, what were your goals in creating this project? And, you know, what, what give us some more of your inspirations besides Ravenloft? For sure. Um, yeah. So this, uh, this campaign started initially as a Pathfinder campaign that I ran for some friends of mine um, after taking uh, the 1998 Merlin miniseries a bit too seriously. From sci-fi? Uh, uh, I forget what channel it was on initially, but Sam Neill's in it. It, ha- it has a it has a, a big cast for something that not a lot of people remember, but I <laughs> loved it. And I ended up uh, taking a lot of the aesthetics from that that I liked to make this Pathfinder campaign. In addition to very embarrassingly, uh, that Hansel and Gretel movie where uh, Jeremy Renner hunts witches with his twin sister, Gretel. I forget, I forget what her <laughs> the, the I, actress's I name is. I hate to say it, but I super love that movie too. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a it chef's is kiss. Such, it is. It is such garbage and I adore it. So that was the initial campaign when I was flying off the cuff. That was when I first built um, the world of Avalon, which is where uh, uh, the Rise of the Black Coven takes place. Um, and we we played through for about a year and a half, maybe close to two years in this one campaign, um, all about um, routing out members of the, the ubiquitous uh, Black Coven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then years went by, we transitioned from Pathfinder we uh, got into fifth edition and um, I ended up picking up uh, the Curse of Strahd book because one of the first campaigns that anyone had ever run for me was uh, a mishmash of things, but we ended with going to Barovia and being in Castle Ravenloft 3.5. And reading the fifth edition version of the book, I was, I was immediately enthralled. Um, the structure is so very easy to take in, especially as a person who's been DMing for so long. Um, I loved everything about the tone. I loved everything about the replayability aspect of it. And Mm -hmm. I I had always wanted to do, uh, to to write my own uh, full-fledged campaign. Mm Because most most of the the stories I do are off the cuff. Um, There's an overarching idea, but um, a lot of it is very dependent on whatever the players do. And then I yeah. kind of course correct based on that. But I wanted I wanted to write something down concrete. And reading into uh, Ravenloft, I knew this is this is going to be the inspiration I have. This is I have to do something, and it has to it has to do this. It has to mm-hmm. make me feel the way that this makes me feel because I am I am spooked, but I am I am not uh, I'm not like frightened all the time like it gives you such good direction mm-hmm. how to run the horror um it gives you an excellent insight into how the world is crafted um and it gives you amazing options for replayability because no two curse of strad games are going to be the same and so taking that as inspiration i'm like well what could i do that i could take what i've learned from reading this module and, and other campaign modules of course too but nothing really struck a chord with me as much as that one um what could i take and um, fit it so that it would be a campaign that someone could pick up and play as easily as they could pick up and use Curse of Strahd. And that's when I, I thought back to all the campaigns I ran. And the one that I had the most extensive world built for was this uh, Rise of the Black Coven, where I still had all of my notes, everything that happened in the campaign. Um, I had uh, the world, we had returned to the world many times over just to play in different uh, with different characters. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I know this like the back of my hand, I'm going to dive into this. 
And so it, it still has a little bit of that goofy overtone that it had at first, but it also has a lot more of the dark, almost pseudo-Gothic elements that Curse of Strahd has without mm-hmm. really traipsing too far into horror or too far into comedy. In my, in my mind, maybe, maybe I'm going to fall flat for the comedy aspect or not be spooky enough. That, that will be for my, my viewers and readers to decide, but That'll That's... be at the tables, I, I assure you, because I Curse of Strahd's the first campaign that I started running, and I am yeah. currently still running, and it's got a lot of silly in it, as serious as I try to be, and they will yeah. never, <laughs> they will never be completely serious, I'm convinced. <laughs> I feel like you can leave it to players every time to do yep. something a little ridiculous, and that does help to lighten the tone. No matter, no matter what the circumstances are right and that walking that line between those things is just such a beautiful thing and it seems it looks and sounds absolutely like it is going to scratch all of those itches i'm i'm very much hoping uh i think we're doing okay with the live stream so far we've been we've been getting you know decent decent feedback decent reviews so mm-hmm. i'm i'm very excited <laughs> that's exciting i yeah live streaming D is terrifying for me by the way so massive kudos <laughs> because that scares me so much and I've, I've i've absolutely done it but i uh, it terrifies me <laughs> uh i i am uh happy stumble mm-hmm. the uh the benefit i have is that someone else is monitoring the the chat feed and the actual stream itself so i i have i don't even open it i am just focused 100 on the game because gotcha. uh, i i cannot that i can multitask to a certain degree but i can't do all those facets and i would be too nervous and looking at the, the stream to see if i would have to address things mm-hmm. but, but they're not the players i need to focus on the, the players at the table yeah makes a lot of sense for sure mm-hmm. so what um you mentioned you know wanting to get the same you wanted to feel the same way in writing the rise of the black coven that you felt in reading um curse of stride and, and picking up you know that 5e module uh what are some of your other inspirations for this what are you know um, like the story for for those who um, for those who don't know, it's um, children are being taken. A dark cult is on the rise. Will your party be able to uncover their wicked schemes? And so it's um, it, like you said, it does have that gothic horror element. Uh, it has amazing artwork from oh um, gosh, from Danica yes. Wells that you've partnered with. Uh, I think the the artwork, the art style that she's bringing to the to the title. Uh, really complements it well it does Um, so like what how do you take your I want this like sort of vibe and I have this idea how did you like fully flesh that out into the product that you know we can see on the kickstarter now um there's been a lot of reworking um I've kind of had this in my my head for so long but I also have the advantage where I've I've been able to run so many different campaigns that I I know the tone when it hits, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can I can now translate that into words after having gone through so many other modules and how other people have constructed it. So I've kind of picked that apart and been like, okay, I'm going to take the 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 structure bits that work really well, like this, the 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 the, the tool tips like uh, that I, I can find from each of these different right, 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 settings. all the little DM DM tips, um, tricks, and stuff like that. Yeah. And from mm-hmm. there, just apply them to the writing. Um, as far as Danica is concerned, um, it was actually kind of serendipitous. Um, I went to high school with her. We hadn't spoken for many years. And then I ended up seeing her at uh, Halcon, which is a, a Halifax 
Comic-Con essentially. It's smaller scale because our, our, our town is tinier, but you know, it's mm-hmm. still, it's still our, our con, our, our big nerdy event of the year. Yeah. And I saw she had a booth. I'm like, Danica, I have not seen you in ages. She had this beautiful uh, uh, Inktober project called the Wickerwood. And as I was going through it, I'm like, I need you to do art for me. Um, and I had I, I found this and picked that, this up uh, months before I actually planned on finally uh, pu- taking the plunge and doing the uh, uh, doing the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I reached out to her and, and I said, this is the art style that I want for this uh, book. I think you can capture it because you have, it's very whimsical, but at the same time, there's like a little bit of, of spooky to it. And she's really good at capturing that, that nice in-between. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was all for it. Um, I have some experience um, art directing as well. And my, my, in my professional life, I do graphic design and I have been a project manager and, and uh, lead designer for, for teams at, at certain points. Um, and so it, it, it's very easy for me to, to say what I want. And she has just taken everything I've said in stride and taken it and just, it, it's so easy. It's, it's, it feels so easy to, to communicate with her. Um, she just fantastic. gets it instantly um, to, to bring about this vibe. Yeah, I'm looking at a, at a drawing that that she drew of the Pendle sisters, mm-hmm. and it's it's like you said, it's 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 very whimsical, but there's this kind of like dark undercurrent to it as well. This was brought to our attention uh, by one of our patrons, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Steele of uh, Gallo Glass Games, and uh, immediately, like I checked it out, uh, and I was like, I, I'm yeah, I'm a hundred percent in shot it over to Mary and she's like yep absolutely the decision took us less than five minutes he was like hey what do you think I'm like yeah let's go he's like all right cool I'll let him know yeah. uh and you know it's not and it isn't just about you know Beautiful. the content itself right. which is 100% in our wheelhouse it looks mm-hmm. incredible I can't wait to play it I can't wait to, to see it myself I'm excited too um but also the fact that um you are you are uh, in you are uh in the LGBTQ community you have made it a point to um to highlight that community within you know in this adventure with npcs can you uh, can you just discuss a little bit about that and also like your your uh, motivations like you know why that why that was important for you yeah so um obviously being um, I'm, i am a a gay man and uh there is a there's a difficult narrative that keeps popping up in the media with the LGBTQ community because we keep we keep having to fight more and more um, and yeah. more vocally for things lately. Mm-hmm. Um, trans rights are always being jeopardized. Um, there are constant struggles for the community. Um, and yes. even even though I am in Canada, which likes to pretend like things are better here, oh, we're, we're better. A lot of that, and no offense to... Uh, anyone in the United States, a lot of our comparison for, or our, a lot of our basis for saying that things are okay here for queer people is because we often say, well, at least it's not in the yeah. States. At <laughs> least it's, it's, it's not here. here. Yes. It's so yeah. much, it's comparatively, comparatively, it's, it's a lot better than the United States for sure. Yeah. But there's still so much work um, that needs to be done because Agreed. there is so much that is still at stake. Even just uh, this past month, um, about an hour away from where I live, um, there was an anti-drag story time protest. Oh my gosh. And thankfully, the counter-protest that came up was like six or seven times larger than the initial protest, so they just completely drowned them out. But those those things still happen here. Um, we don't necessarily talk about them as much, 
they don't mm. necessarily make about uh, as big of uh, an impact and they're not necessarily center stage politically but there's always that chance that they become center stage and yeah. with everything that is happening to the south of us it's very important that um queer representation comes into the forefront of media absolutely um, and i am I am heavily invested in a lot of, of queer content creators online, particularly on YouTube. And mm-hmm. it, it is a, it, it has a baffling history, queer, queer representation in media and doing a deep dive into it. It hasn't really gotten a lot better. We've had some very nice flickers of good queer representation, but a lot mm-hmm. of the time there is token queerness or pink washed things, or um, we get a lot of uh, shipped characters that are, queer because the community uh, ascribes those qualities to them um, yeah. but we often get the same narrative for a lot of queer people um, jokingly I say uh, that lesbians are the safe queers so you'll see them in a lot more media um, a lot of people a lot of people point out that lesbians are uh, more prevalent because people fetishize or straight men can fetishize lesbianism and you won't see as many um, uh, gay men or trans people um, mm-hmm. And you will also, a lot of the time, when you do get gay men, you will get that narrative of uh, the coming out story, and it has to be a big deal, Um, which that that's, I mean, that's good that we have that from time to time. It's good that we get lesbian representation. Um, It it is good that we are appearing in media now as more than just the villains. I mean, right. we, all, we all love a great Disney villain who are all queer coded, but uh, every single one, it seems like every and, single one. And fabulous. True. And they're some of my favorite characters. Just I, and rightfully, always rightfully so. There's so <laughs> much fun, saying, but it's so much more fun. Um, up until very recently, that was pretty much all we got as far as queer representation is coding and uh, villainy. And mm-hmm. now there's this hesitancy, and then we often get these 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 narratives that are uh, all about that coming out aspect. And that coming out aspect is predicated on the fact that coming out is a big deal. In an ideal world, no one would give a shit. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I want in the narrative, where we have queer characters that are present, they are commonplace, because queer people are commonplace. We are absolutely everywhere. Sexuality oh, yeah. is a wide spectrum of colors and, and attributes, and it sexual is. identity is a wide spectrum of colors and attributes. Well, yeah, it goes with your fingerprint. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. They are as unique as your fingerprints. I love that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so where I wanted to include queer characters, not only were a lot of the uh, characters that were in the initial runs of my campaigns and worlds um, played by queer people, um, but I wanted to include queer people in a setting where they are just common, they are present, they are everyday beings whose story is their own, and it's not that de facto coming out story, and who don't right. suffer from the same tropes that a lot of queer people suffer from in media. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a whole bucket, uh, not, there's a whole list of of, of tropes that just uh-huh. kind of keep getting played over and over again. And I'm a lot sick of, of them, it. A lot of them problematic for sure. Yep. I oh yeah. Agree. Yeah. So yeah. that's the, that's the, that's the tirade uh, version of why <laughs> I want to have uh, queer characters. I'm uh, absolutely <laughs> here for it. So I do have a question though, um, because as a, I'm a supporter and member of the team there. So mm. it is, oh yeah, no, it's, absolutely near and dear to my heart and i have uh, avoided crying so far but we'll see we'll see um so from the side of running this adventure what do you want 
like, what would your ideal be for DMs going into this? Because there is going to be a sensitivity and I agree that there should not be, but to some extent it is an adjustment for some people. And as long as they're willing to meet me halfway, I'm usually cool with helping through an adjustment. So as a DM, how would you expect, or like, what would you want from that, from the tables? Like, how would you want to see that done? Like what's your, your dream for it? My my dream would be that people take some of these elements in stride. Um, the 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 DM reading the narrative, a lot of the time, the sexuality of the characters and their relationships, it is going to be explained in how to role play the character and their motivations mm-hmm. and who they love or who they've been in love with. Um, but ultimately, a lot of the time that doesn't come up. So it will be up to the DM whether or not they include it anyway which is, right. uh, you know, some DMs just won't. That That's just the, the state of being. Um, yeah. But ideally, I would want a DM to read it, take this in stride, because this is just normal. And mm-hmm. uh, the players, some players might make a lot of hay out of it, but those aren't necessarily the people that I'm targeting anyway with this. Right. I, I, it sucks to say, but you're not going to convince people at the D&D table immediately if they find out some character is gay or right. lesbian Ab- or trans. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a much larger conversation you're going to have to have with them because it's... Right. Oh, for yeah. sure. For sure. So I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm, I'm confident that it is manageable with a friend group or a, a D&D table that mm-hmm. someone could have that conversation over a long period, but I'm not going to... I'm under no illusions that like my campaign will change the world. No, 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 no. Not by gonna... any, no, not by any means. Just more of a how to approach it without hitting those stereotypes, without ticking off all those annoying little boxes that we all see. Oh yeah, so there's... that's that's <laughs> the aspect I was going for to that as well. It's hugely important as well. I'm sorry, for, I think I misunderstood there. Um, no, it's okay. So no problems. I've I've definitely run into some hurdles um, mm. because there needs to be. Um, I, I, I like it when people care about the NPCs. I like it also when there are stakes involved in a campaign. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, harm coming to queer characters is not what I want to have happen, but harm might come to happen to some of them, right. which is tricky because you've got tropes like um, uh, uh, lesbians don't get a happy ending, uh, mm-hmm. which is a, a huge problem where you, you you bury your lesbians at the end of a story because they they cannot have a happy ending together. Um, right. Even, even very... uh, that, that oh. the historical, they were friends, good friends, companions, partners. Good, good friends or, or just one of them dies so they don't get a happy ending mm, together. Right. And that's that's tricky because it is D&D. So there is risk. There's combat. Oh, and always. There's an evil cult that is roaming about who might hurt people. So uh, it, I, I'm definitely entering into some risky territory where uh, some of the stage direction does put some characters in jeopardy but I want to avoid those tropes at all costs. So I want there to be agency involved in players' choices. So players have the capacity to change the outcome. Naturally, they always do. Your players should always have agency. If, you are, if you're a DM... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, pro uh, tip. <laughs> pro, pro tip. Well, if you don't give them agency, they won't be your players for very long. So that'll probably sort itself out. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so that's the... That's the crux of it, where I I, okay. I I give stage direction for how harm can potentially come to certain characters, but it's um it's it's something I'm conflicted with too because I want to avoid that. Like the, the right. goal of the campaign is not to have queer people come to harm; it's just to have them be represented. Right. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. A, that's a delicate like tightrope. That's a to to walk it is, is that you want to have 
you know, um, this representation for this group of people um, that makes it seem like, hey, like, you know, this is this is run of the mill. This is this isn't anything, you know, out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, you don't want to and and keeping in that idea, like, okay, well, they, you know, they could be victims of this cult, but then you don't want to fall into the trope of like, oh, okay, well, like they're always the vic- they're always victimized, they're always the the victims of, of violence. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm I'm very interested to see like how that plays out, and I I really like your answer about giving the players agency and and being able to decide, like, you know, um, or not decide, but have a uh, have that power in what you know what fate befalls these characters, mm-hmm. and it's not entirely dependent on the character themselves, you know, to who they are, you know, uh, what you know their their characteristics, but more so. What role in the story are they playing? Yeah, I d- I don't want anyone to have that the the plot armor as one might say, right? Uh, but I want there to be you know um, emotional investment, and no one feels emotionally invested if they are wrapped in bubble wrap. But um, it's it's something I want players to care about the NPCs, but also therefore want to protect them and players. I think a lot, most, not all, but most players want to be the heroes of the story. So I think that lends itself naturally to help keeping these people safe. No, right. Absolutely. For sure. And so, uh, like I said, the Kickstarter is going on right now. Um, Mm -hmm. It's fully funded already. uh, Less, you know, uh, less than uh, two weeks into, into the uh, campaign. Uh, You know, what, what was your reaction when you found that out, when you got the notification that like, oh, wow, like this, this is, been not only as successful as I hoped it would be, but, but now more that yeah, now goal. surpassing that goal. <laughs> oh, it is a, uh, it is an incredibly stressful experience. Still, I'll be I'll be honest. It uh, so I I have one hundred percent developed a bunch of unhealthy habits because of this. So I am in a constant state of pseudo disbelief uh, and anxiety. Um, just watching those numbers go up and down and. I've, I've had people pledge and I've had people um, right, withdraw. Uh, withdraw their pledges. Um, it's been, it, it doesn't feel real yet. And, and I don't think it will until uh, it, it ends. Um, uh, Jeff from Galaglass Games was a huge blessing becoming the, the sponsor because that just took away a lot of my anxiety off the bat. Uh, yeah. uh, but there's still a lot, uh, there's still a lot a, for me left to do. And I still have to keep promoting it, of course. So I'm, I'm still, I'm still like a, a, a hummingbird on social media, just constantly trying yep. to post things, write things, get the mm-hmm. word out. I've been trying to talk to small businesses to see if they want to place wholesale orders. I feel, uh, I still feel that like constant vibrational hum, just oh, like I've had eight cups of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, just eight. Uh, is, but that, if- <laughs> is that a lot of coffee for most people? I I actually don't drink coffee most of the time because it it gives me the the anxious jitters. Oh, I need I need uh, that's more coffee for me, so that's fine. Yeah, you have yeah, you can have same. all of it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll drink a tea every once in a while. So, Rise of the Black Coven it is um you know over two hundred pages. It's got eight unique dungeons for characters from levels one to twelve. It's a full fledged campaign, you know, mm. designed to take your characters from from beginning to, you know, uh, what. For all intents and purposes, is kind of like the bottleneck of D and D Fifth Edition, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. At a certain mm-hmm. point, and we've discussed this in, in in episodes proper, how you know the system kind of, um, for better or worse, kind of 
gets OP at, at a certain point. It's right around 12, 13 uh, level. Uh, 13 unique monsters and NPC stat blocks, as well as 12 new magic items. Um, so yeah, in addition to being uh, the campaign itself with all the NPCs, all the monsters, all the magic items, everything you could you know hope for, expect in a campaign it's also the campaign setting itself so can you talk to us a little bit about avalon of course so can, can you as a dm <laughs> discuss your home hey, can you discuss your Absolutely home not, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh uh, uh buy me dinner first now the uh uh the so the campaign setting is uh avalon it is probably the the world i've returned to the most as a dm um it is more specifically set in a country called Alexandria. And the, the first incarnation of this, I was a very ambitious young DM and I made the whole world map and uh, gave unique attributes to all these different countries. Um, but for the purposes of Rise of the Black Coven, I reined a lot of that back in so that it could be more easily inserted into someone else's world as well. Right. So Alexandria sits at the end of uh, a continent to the north. There are some uh countries to the south that you can play with if you'd like they they don't have a lot of detail by design input onto them and um part of my stage direction is use use your world if you'd like to insert this and replace names as necessary but uh alexandria the country is a uh, a nation that was once a bunch of divided city-states and uh it was originally a uh a part of the world that had uh, as its predominant religion, a, a what we would call a pagan religion, worshiping archfey instead of deities. And so I've taken the the religious aspect um, and used a lot of characters from uh, pseudo-pagan myth and Arthurian myth and some Shakespeare. So uh, this also harkens back to that 1998 Merlin where we have prominently featured uh, Mab, Queen Mab, uh, and the Lady of the Lake as two of the the over deities. We've got um, uh, the Morrigan, so she's a, I believe, a Celtic deity as well as an Archfey, and uh, all of these entities um, essentially governed their own their own section of the world uh, relatively peacefully until a war broke out, and this war. Uh, ravaged someone's village and her name was sarah and sarah made a pact with an archfey and used the power that she got therein to vanquish the invaders and unify her country so all of these disparate city-states came together and formed the the country of alexandria however it came with mm -hmm. a twist so there is a there's a a, a religious sub theme that goes throughout uh, the campaign and Mm -hmm. A lot of this isn't necessary for the actual running of the campaign, but it's all for for context. Um, the we're all about the lore here. Oh yeah, yeah I, I, I figured. I figured. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if um, <laughs> if it's uh, indicative of the name of the show, but yeah, we we do love the lore. So uh -huh. by all means, do proceed. Well, thank <laughs> you. So in uniting these disparate city states, um, the pact with the Archfey that uh, Sarah had made, she deemed that archfey to be superior to all others and deified her. Her name is Eos, the, the fey of dawn, harvest. Um, uh, in, in other versions of the games, if we, if we, if we could use the, the name Paylor, she might be uh, a female version of Paylor or an equivalent thereof, um, and banned all, all other pagan worship. 
until her deathbed, where she recanted and reinstituted paganism and refounded the church, which leaves us at an interesting spot historically, several hundred years after, where we've got this uh, person who had been heralded as a hero, who became a conqueror and a tyrant, who uh, founded a religion that then split apart and reconfigured itself, where the world is kind of at a weird power crossroads, where there is this this tension between um, returning to pagan roots and uh, maintaining an orthodox tradition. And those two elements coming into conflict kind of set the stage for how the the Black Coven gets about doing what it's doing in the modern era of Avalon. Yeah, that's I yeah I love I love some good world building for sure one hundred percent. Um, and it sounds it's I mean like you you've mentioned that this is a world that you've used in several different campaigns throughout the years. One that you've been sort of crafting and molding little by little up until I guess this was this is the culmination of of years of of work and uh and more to come uh one thing I wanted to ask for sure is um if you look at the Kickstarter uh, you know um the different tiers are that are available uh the lowest tier it's um it's five dollars five Canadian dollars or four U.S. dollars uh which is relatively low that's for a pdf of the of the campaign of the entire campaign and adventure mm-hmm. um so you could own this you can own a digital version of it for as little as four bucks you know what was the motivation behind pricing that so low so my initial thought was that i wanted the campaign to be as accessible as possible now bef- before um before Gallo Glass Games came on board and I was still stressing out I was thinking that I had made a mistake because I was panicking uh and anxious uh, because I <laughs> saw a lot of other people on Kickstarter charging more for their PDFs um but especially now that Gallo Glass is on board and everything is funded and everything <laughs> a lot of the stress has gone I am still uh, a bit manic but um a lot of it was motivated by the fact that I want people to be able to play it. This wasn't a, a project I undertook for profit. Um, if I if I make a profit, great, that's fantastic. I say that in my little intro video, but the idea is that I want to make something and I want to make it available to people. Um, and as you mentioned, it's it's five Canadian dollars, about four U.S. dollars. So I'm hoping. Uh, I, I've I've been looking at my my numbers and. It seems most people are very much interested in in in, in that tier, which is uh, which is great, because um, I I want people to play it. I want I want the thing that I have made to be out and about in the world, and for people to be able to enjoy it and mm-hmm. maybe see themselves in some of it. You know? No, yeah, and that's sure. you know, um, I've discussed um, the the aesthetic, the vibe being in our wheelhouse. I've discussed the oh, yeah. the um, the fact that representation is so Mm -hmm. crucial in in this being another reason and that's another yet another reason why we're so excited about this project is like you said it's like yeah if if you end up you know turning a profit which would be fantastic all the better Mm -hmm. but really your main motivation is to to have people play it to create something that can you know bring people joy which is beautiful thank you thank you (laughs) Um, for the record, though, uh, I I definitely um, am a uh, as you can tell from behind me, I um, I am a hoarder of TTRPG books, uh, mm-hmm. and so I I definitely backed the uh, physical um, version tier of it because Thank I you. Just, I just can't help myself. Like 
I he love has no self-control. I have very, I got to stay off a of Kickstarter. It seems like, it seems like every time <laughs> I go on that website, I'm back in something else. I, I feel you. Um, the, uh, the smaller creatives on Kickstarter um, are very uh, helpful towards each other. Um, Cause I, I've, I've reached out to people for, um, doing cross promotion and they've reached out to me and you get this really nice helpful network of people willing to promote each other's work um but at the same time whenever i see a project that i am cross promoting and i really like i pledge to it and so uh yeah a lot of my money is tied up in kickstarter right now that i didn't expect to be <laughs> no yeah it's uh oh it's, everybody's it's supporting a... each other and it comes out in the wash kind of a thing yeah exactly we're all ele- we're all elevating each other exactly <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there's, um, you know, it's just one of, uh, one of many projects, like you said, that, um, is, is fantastic on, uh, on the platform. Um, you know, why, uh, like why Kickstarter? Why, you know, um, I can, like, I've, I've never put anything, I've never created one myself, but you've mentioned the anxiety and the stress, uh, you know, uh, why that route over more traditional, um, like publishing? Honestly, um, part of me was very fearful that um, the professional market for campaigns was saturated. Um, so I also knew that with D&D 1 or D&D Next or whatever, whatever we're calling it now uh, is uh, on its way, that there would be a, a, a shelf life for anything that I make in 5th edition uh, out of whole cloth. And so... I knew that there was still an appetite for campaigns and settings because I still see them popping up, but um, other publishing houses, I don't know. I, I I didn't think that they would want to grasp at a single creatives uh, world built idea. Um, it is, uh, and it's a bit presumptuous. I thought it was a bit presumptuous of me to go up to someone and be like, hello, would you like to buy this story I've been working on where it might have provided some security. I also felt it it would be a more difficult avenue to approach. Um, mm-hmm. I've also mentioned that I have a background in graphic design, so the book will be laid out by me, which is a, a big, it's a big easy 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 thing for me. Um, uh, and so there's a lot of stuff that I knew I could accomplish on my own um, if I just had the funds to do it. So. It probably hasn't helped my anxiety knowing that I'm doing a lot of that work, but the other avenue I thought was going to be more of a dead end. And I'll be honest, I did not pursue it. <laughs> I, I could have been completely wrong on that. I, I launched Kickstarter because I, I had confidence in it and I had seen projects funded before and my friends talked about the projects that they had funded. I'm like, I, I can do that. I can be audacious and, and try to get something funded on Kickstarter. And here we are. <laughs> I think it's oh, yeah. working out fantastically and I'm really glad you decided to go for it. Thank you. <laughs> and you know, that's that's part of the reason we we started, you know, this particular series and talking to content creators, not just you know, getting like picking their brains about the creative process and you know what makes mm-hmm. them tick, but also kind of like the the how the sausage is made, so to speak. And mm-hmm. so like, do you have any advice for you know that that creative out there listening to this? who is considering taking the plunge into crowdfunding to, to release a module or to release a zine, to do something, you know, uh, but something they, they, they need, they need that little push to, to send them over the edge. What, what, what can you tell them? Oh, I think the biggest takeaway would be art is expensive and you should pay your artist. Well, 
Hell yes, brother. Um, we uh, we agree. Yeah, your your <laughs> artist will be putting in a ton of work, um, and I've done I've done some illustration work in the past, and uh, it I would I would never be able to get out of my own head about it. Um, just the way I am, I would I would overly critique my own stuff. So Danica was a serendipitous blessing, um, and she has also been incredibly generous in our our, our arrangement and uh, our contract. So I, I can't rave about that enough, but art is very expensive and your artists, if they are doing this as their full-time uh, job, then they need to be compensated appropriately. Mm -hmm. And the legal use of their artwork in publications can be, uh, it can be difficult to navigate because you might only acquire the artwork for limited runs, or you might be, if, if you're very lucky, you might get un, unlimited usage, but art it, secure an artist who will work with you at a budget that you think you can afford um, and figure out how your relationship is going to work. That is, that is the biggest takeaway I can say. Layout and design, once you have the writing and all of that, hiring a graphic designer is a little easier than hiring an artist because a graphic designer isn't going to keep intellectual property ownership of the work under most circumstances, but the artist's IP, their portfolio, that is their livelihood is going into this and that should be honored and respected. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that's um, exactly uh, what I would kind of answer. I was looking for something that a lot of people ne might not necessarily consider when approaching a project like this of their own. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and that's, that's another thing that I loved about, um, about your project is that you explicitly state like, you know, mm -hmm. like of the, of the original like um, funding amount, you put exactly like how what's going where, like how much the artist is getting paid, yeah. how much it's going to cost to print uh, the hardcover books, and so on and so forth. Hmm. Because the transparency is uh, really, um, it's very nice. refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> it Thank really you. is. It's nice. I uh, I I wanted it to be very clear, like what uh, what everything was going to cost me. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it was it was very funny because a friend of mine approached me, and goes, "I saw your budget. Yeah, it looks very reasonable. Like, yeah." But it looks like you're making none money. I'm like you're correct. I will be if if everything is exactly this. I will be making none money. Ah, none money. None money. <laughs> so is this going to be a one-time thing, or are you planning on continuing to expand in this world and create an entire like a series of modules or different level adventures and things like that? Or is that something you want to see from the community, seeing what they come up with with your ideas too, or a little of both? Ooh, a, a little of both. So. Um... For any third-party content that uses the the Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons system um, that adheres to the uh, uh, the OGL, um, mm -hmm. you you have to declare what can and cannot be used for iterative work. And mm -hmm. uh, I pretty much say use everything. The only th there's there's very limited things that you cannot use except Danica's artwork. That is hers. Um, right. Um, but otherwise. I would love to see people write modules in Avalon. I think that would be a huge, huge homage. Um, okay. At the same time, uh, this has gone really well. Um, I I would love to be able to do this. Uh, pie in the sky dreams. I would be writing adventures and modules as my full-time job. Uh, That's kind of what <laughs> I'm doing here too. Would love to be doing this just permanently. And this is all I do. Talk yeah. to people about Dungeons and Dragons and art that goes with Dungeons and Dragons. Like I'm down. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that, that living living the dream. Living and the dream. I, I I feel like having the first one done, and once it is fully produced, published, and distributed, that is a 
uh, a thing that not everybody does, especially as a, effectively a, a one-person operation. Yeah, that that will probably be a good portfolio piece. That will be that will oh, be yeah. a, a good way to get my foot in the door with I with either a, a publishing house or for making people interested in another campaign. Very nice. Yeah, we absolutely we hope to see it. Like I said, it's um mm-hmm. everything about it is like it's right in our wheelhouse. You know, we're both you know fans of the whimsical and the spooky. You know, we're both um, huge proponents and supporters of representation, especially yep. in in TTRPGs. And um, yeah, it's I can't it's, yeah. I can't rave about this enough. Um, you know, if if you are listening to this and you're uh, interested at all, there will be links in the show notes to um, to the Kickstarter, of course, to all the social medias right. for Christian uh, for Danica. Um, and like we said, it's if the PDF, the digital copy of the book. It's it's four bucks. It's and if you are interested in, uh, I I love this. Um, you have postcards. One of the tiers, uh, uh, you include postcards that you can send to people, or you can keep. You can you know keep and frame, which I probably will. Uh, but you can That's actually nice. send them to friend to friends and, um, use them um potentially to as like a campaign invitation. Oh, as a like a prop for the campaign. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I love it. Uh, for you know, for um, for Avalon, for Alexandria, which is very cool. Um, like greetings from you know, sort of thing, which I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, like, go go out and support support this project. It's uh, and, oh for sure. Um, when when we were approached by Jeff about this, you know, we're like we we talk about the things that we that we that look interesting, that mm-hmm. you know we would uh that we would love to play ourselves. Um, that's, that's the things that we champion. And this is definitely one of those projects. I'm so glad. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank Christian, you. before we let you go, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Anything else you wanted to say? Um, I will say our Kickstarter runs until July 11th. So please check us out. Um, if you wanted to find me on social media, I am at sending spell on pretty much every platform. Um, and, uh, just another big thank you. Uh, to a couple people, uh, Gallo Glass Games, Jeff, for being the sponsor of this. You you have been uh, an amazing boon who just happened to cross me, which is fantastic. And uh, there's a couple small retailers just in my neck of the woods. They're called uh, The Deck Box and Monster Comic Lounge. And they were the first two people to place uh, wholesale orders for the book. So it's going to be carried in some retail establishments too. Awesome. So, support, support small businesses. Support your local game store, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll end on that note. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for joining us again. Uh, Rise of the Black Coven. It's uh, on Kickstarter now through July 11th. Go check it out. Uh, support uh, indie creators, support career creators, support local businesses, support mm-hmm. uh, artists and uh, their uh, and pay them accordingly. All those things that we've that we've touched on in the show, uh, we yes. just want to double down on. Always, always got to take care of them, man. Thank you. The heart so- and soul of the community, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. My name is Sergio. And I am Mary. Fare thee well, dear listener, and until we meet again, may all your 20s be natural. Thank you for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, consider following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at D&D Lorecast, or jumping into the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us 
about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll see you soon. Listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.